Good morning. It's good to be back. I got to admit, last week when uh, Josh opened and he, we started reading our passages for last Sunday, I got excited because he was going to get to the, one of my favorite portions of Scripture. And uh, then I realized while we were eating, I, was, I started reading what I had to do this week. And I realized he had left it for me. And I turned around. I was like, you left, you left that for me. You know, he said, and it was, he's like, yeah. And so he explained that there was no real good break. <laughs> and that he had to kind of figure out where to break off at. So I could do one of my favorite portions of scripture again. But we're in John 18 today. And we will finish John 18 as we come to a close in the trial of Jesus. Just to give you an idea of the timeline of where we're at, we started the Passion Week on Resurrection Day this year. And we're just now to the end of one week. So that was in April, and, and uh, we're, we're almost to... Uh, his crucifixion, which would have been, what is it, however many months ago, I'm not good at math. Um, so keep in mind also that the first 12 and a half chapters were the first three and a half years of Christ's life, or the three and a half years of Christ's ministry, not his life, he'd have been a kid. But, and then the, the remaining chapters from uh, half of chapter 12 on through to 21 are... Into, to the end of Passion Week through his resurrection is 10 days or so. It may be a total of two weeks or a little more. We're not sure um, the timeline past uh, him revealing himself. And, uh, but here in chapter 18, we see his betrayal and, and his arrest, uh, his trial before Annas, the denial of Peter, the questioning of the high priest, then on to Pilate to hear him based on the accusations of the Jews. It was necessary for Rome to get involved in order that the, the death in which Christ had indicated that he must die come to fruition. Um, only Rome, or if, if it had been the Jews, they would have stoned him like they had tried to do already. Um, but in, in this instance, he was to be crucified or lifted up, as he had mentioned in John chapter 3, as the serpents were lifted up and, and, the, and the people were delivered in the time of Moses when they all got bit by snakes. and he raised up the serpent. He's comparing himself to that. He must be lifted up. The Son of Man must, must be lifted up. So that would be the crucifixion. So today we're going to go over verses 37 to 40. And uh, like I said, it's the end of the trial. It's, it's coming to a close. Um, our Lord is about to go be crucified um, at the hands of sinful men. And he's, he's about to have the wrath of his Father poured out on him on our behalf. So as we go through this, keep that in mind. So if you would, please stand with me as we read and give honor to God's word. And Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world. That I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? 
And he had said this, and when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. But merciful Father, as we come into your presence, you are just worthy of all praise and all honor and all glory. As we work our way through this portion of scripture, I pray that you have your way with us. Help us to learn and to grow in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to apply your truths in our life, that, the, that it may be manifested in all that we say and do. Lord, we love you and we praise your holy name. And all that God's children said. So Pilate asked, are you a king then? As Pilate is still interrogating to find out if Jesus is a king. He couldn't imagine this man standing before him was any kind of royalty, much less the king of the Jews. Jesus really didn't give him the satisfaction of a direct answer, uh, at least at first, as we see earlier in verses 33 and 34. And Pilate was irritated even more. He doesn't like Jews, uh, the Jews at all, and, and this wasn't really helping his... Uh, his situation. He just wanted to rid himself of it. So finally here in verse 37, he gives, he gives uh, Pilate the answer. He says, you, you said rightly, you said rightly that I'm a king. For this purpose, for this cause I was born and this cause I've come into the world. So he was, unlike earthly kingdoms, he was crowned a king not by earthly means, right? So a king that, that we think of is put there by people, by an election or by, by force, uh, with them taking over someone or a, a territory. But it wasn't by any human means that Christ is a king. He's, he's otherworldly. He says, for this cause I was born, as in a king. He was born like all other human beings, but he came from another realm. So born just as a man was, but not completely by man. So those two phrases together, it says, um, for this cause I was born and I have come into the world. So those two phrases together are in reference to his pre- pre-existence and his incarnation. So his mission was not political or spiritual in that he would, he would bear witness. It was more spiritual that he would bear witness or testify to the truth. And this truth, um, if you've been around me for more than a few years, you know that I'm big on truth. I don't, I mean, it's just something I'm obsessed with. And I think in John 17, Josh allowed me to go over the passage where Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, sanctify them in, in, in the truth. Your word is truth. Um, so he, he's always thinking of me, right? Uh, <laughs> so he proclaimed the truth about God and man and sin and judgment, holiness, eternal life, everything pertaining to life, life and godliness. It was all there. This is what Christ preached. For this truth... He was sent to bear witness of. This is the truth. This is why the child of God should never entertain any type of relativism um, in truth, like as in morals. I mean, we see that daily. You know, if you talk to any atheist, there's no objective moral truth. But then again, they'll say that murder is wrong. But, well, why is murder wrong? You know, why is it wrong that I lied to you? And they can't answer that because they have no reference for truth. They don't have any, any basis for it. So this truth he sent to bear witness, right? Relativism is relative truth. We, we see that 
in the world. The, the world is just inundated with it. You can, you can choose whatever you want to be at any given time. I mean, gender is fluid. You can morph from one, one thing to the next, and, and, and just on a whim, I feel pretty today. So John writes this in, first, in his first epistle, says, do not love the world or things of the world. So, and it says, it is not of the Father, it is passing away, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This truth, abiding in the truth. For Jesus and his kingdom, the truth is not something subjective or twisted or, or manipulated, but it's revealed. We have the revealed truth. The revealed word of God through Christ is the truth. I had a chance to speak with a Mormon lady one time, and uh, uh, we got to talking. She asked me if I knew anything about Mormonism, so I just rattled off what I did know. I was like, well, you know, supposedly this angel Moroni or appeared to Joseph Smith, and Joseph Smith put on some magic glasses and, and interpreted some golden tablets, and that's how you got the Book of Mormon, and that's kind of, you know, what I know, and a few other things, and and she's like, I've never heard of magic glasses. I was like, really? So apparently I knew a little more about Mormonism than she did. I was like, well, it's true. I mean, if you, you can go find it pretty easily. And uh, she's like, well, I've never heard of that. So the next time she comes in, she's like, when I went to church, they taught about the magic glasses that, that Joseph Smith used to translate the tablets that the angel Moroni showed him, or Moroni, I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, so I was like, well, what did you think? You know, hoping like it was this would spark some kind of interest in the, the actual truth. And she says, well, I thought it was weird, so I called my sister. And she said that, well, you know, there's just some things that God doesn't want us to know. <laughs> and I said, well, I would have to disagree. There are not things that God doesn't want us to know. It's revealed in his word. Everything that we need to know is here. It's in the scriptures. So, false, false religions... We'll, we'll, we'll take a little bit of truth and turn it into a giant lie, right? And then if you question this, their, their, their teachings, they will give you an answer. But they get frustrated if you question the answer. Like with Christianity, you can question every answer because there's always an answer. It doesn't matter. The truth stands on its own continually, all the time. Truth, truth, truth. But not, it's not true with Christianity. I asked the kids, uh, I think it was last week or the week before, they're not kids, like young adults, excuse me, um, how do you know what I'm teaching you is true? And uh, Colton said, well, you go to different parts of the scriptures to back up what you're teaching, and you can show it here, and you can show it there. And I, was, I was like, well, that's a good answer, but that wasn't what I was trying to, to coax out of you. I wanted them to say, we need to be studying so I can hold you accountable for what is true. That's, and that's also everyone's job in here. Um, we're not above accountability. But what he said was correct, and I did appreciate the vote of confidence there. Another false teaching would be pragmatism. It means something that is true based on success, right? So um, a lot of churches is like, well, uh, how many souls got saved? How many people brought their Bible that day? How many people were in attendance for Sunday school? All this, like, this is how we measure success. You know, I asked Josh when, I don't even know if we'd had our first service yet. I, I said, how do you measure the success of a church? Is, is basically how does it glorify God? How does it edify the body? How do we how do we bring people along and mature in Christ together? I'm sure there was more. He's a pretty smart guy. So Jesus allowed himself to be falsely charged and, and beaten and ultimately crucified. And for what? It's all for the truth. He 
He was here to bear witness of the truth. And so this relativism or pragmatism is not any hill that any person would ever stake their life on. They would not die for anything like that. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, remember? He's the eternal Logos. He's that word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Earlier, John chapter 1, this Logos, the governing principle of the universe that was coined by Heraclitus, you've heard that before. And this is the logic that sustains all things. So truth and logic and the word and Christ are all synonymous with what keeps the world going. His truth is not constructed, it's not discovered, it's not some new type of theory, it's just plain truth. Let's see if I can find this. James Montgomery voice. Here we go. James Montgomery Boyce was on a plane, and the woman seated next to him learned that he was a Christian minister. She began to bring out all of her objections about Christianity. First, she spoke of original sin and how it made no sense and how she could not accept it. Boyce replied to her, I see, but is it true? Next, she went on to the idea of judgment and hell and how uncivilized and how amoral all of it was. He said, I see how you feel, but is it true? She went on to the next topic and then the next, each one with the same response. Finally, she erupted with her great distaste for everything taught in the Bible, how it wasn't modern or appealing to her way of thinking. As Boyce began to open his mouth one last time, she exclaimed, oh, I know, I know, none of that matters. Is it true? You were going to say. So, and that's kind of the thing um, I use a lot dealing with people um, that want to argue uh, some kind of objective or subjective standard. How do you know it's true? It's this truth that is worth staking our lives on. We, we stand on the truth. We don't, we don't strive to be relevant in society. We, well, this is the truth. Here you go. There's, no, there's not much more. You know, I've told people, you know, if you want special programs and special things for uh, activities, you know, it's like we, we as a church here, we don't have much more to offer than the word. Like that's our primary focus, and if if that's not enough, I don't. I'm sorry. You know, maybe maybe we're not for you. And then he says, "Everyone who is of the truth, here's my voice." Chapter fourteen, he says, "No one comes to the Father except by me." In chapter ten, verse twenty-seven. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. John 8 says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's the most misquoted verse in the entire world. They leave off the first part, and they say the truth will set you free, like some kind of knowledge of some kind of whatever truth is freedom. I read a book. Um, oh, no, I was reading uh, Nietzsche on truth and untruth, and he, he had made a loose quote of that. Uh, the, being free in the truth, well, <laughs> Nietzsche was like this gigantic atheist, and, which was ironic. So in verse 38, Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said that, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him. So Pilate is seemingly sarcastic, and I really, 
was on board with that thought for a long time, and I mostly still am, but I, I wonder if it was just a product of his, his disparity. He, he's like, well, what is truth? Maybe this man is broken. Like, he just wants to be rid of this. But most people agree to this sarcastic. He wanted to get over, get through this and be done. He wanted to wash his hands, his hands of this whole thing. You notice here, Jesus says the truth, the truth, twice in verse 37, as in definite. It's definite truth. Paul only says truth. What is truth? As in a relative or pragmatic sense, right? It changes just a little bit. He's like every other skeptic that ever lived. Pilate was out without hope. He was out without, totally without hope in finding the truth. Apart from God, there is no absolutes. There can be no truth. If we're all just highly evolved pond scum, we can do what we want. No repercussions. Kill or be killed. Survival of the fittest. There's... If no absolutes, there's no moral or universal truths. Subjectivity is the norm. Uh, I remember Michelle Obama or Oprah, one of those people, said, go out and find your truth. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that means. I read a book by Sam Harris that uh, it was a letter to a Christian nation where he was uh, basically calling out all Christians and he... He's talked about Muslims a lot for some reason, but one of the things he did was he called God an abortionist. He said, God is the biggest abortionist ever because babies die in the womb all the time. And my immediate thought was like, well, good, you're pro-life. That's great. And then my, my second thought is, well, why is that bad? Coming from your worldview, I can, he can do what he wants. And my third thought was like, well, you're an atheist. This being that you speak of that it's, has this attribute that you don't like doesn't exist. That's the world's truth. It's absurd. They take the things of God and point it right back at him. But it can't stand against the truth. Oh, this is a good one. <laughs> Years ago, I bought, or I didn't buy it. I was going to buy it. You can buy samples of books in the, on your nook. And the title of it is What is Truth? And I can't remember the guy's name. It's Christian something, but he's not a Christian. He was some New Age thinker, early 1900s. Chapter 1 Second paragraph says, The necessities of life are many, but there is nothing that needs so much as more is truth. To possess the truth is to possess everything that we can use now and also to possess the key to everything that we may require in the future. The great objects of every normal person are invariably emancipation and attainment. To be set free from the imperfect and the lesser and attain the perfect and the greater. This is what everybody is consciously or unconsciously working for. And truth can accomplish this, but truth alone. To know the truth is secure, complete emancipation. And to know the truth is, is to ascend into higher and higher attainments. That is pretty spot on, right? That sounds pretty good. Greatest thing you can ever know. Truly emancipated through the truth, right? Us, well, I mean, my mind, it goes to Christ. I'm, he's the truth, right? Uh, page, the second page, one Two paragraphs later, the truth is infinite and immeasurable. No one, therefore, can know the whole truth. To claim that you have found the absolute truth or that you have discovered the perfect path to absolute truth is in consequence to delude yourself. The truth is so large that no one can even find it at all. We may devote an eternity to finding more and more truth, and yet we have found it is insignificant 
compared to the immensity of the whole truth itself. He just contradicted himself two paragraphs later. So this is the world's truth, right? It's, it's obviously subjective. The, first, the second paragraph started out pretty good. You're like, all right, I'm in. I didn't buy the book, by the way. That's, that's about as much as I've read of it. Good things. Pilate's flipping response, you know, proved that he was not of the elect. He was not of the people that was given to Christ by the Father. He heard Christ's voice, but he didn't hear Christ's voice. The truth that was standing in, in front of him. Then he goes back out and declares, I found no fault in him. So he says he went back out to the Jews because they were outside because they couldn't be be defiled by going inside like we learned last week as Josh said their hypocrisy knows no bounds and Pilate understood enough that, that Jesus was no threat as the, the charges in Luke 23 2 says it said, and they began accusing him saying we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar saying he, he himself is Christ the king so they had no valid indictment and, and ultimately no conviction. And the Lord of glory here was slandered and hated, again falsely accused, and again found to be perfect, innocent without fault. So even in the eyes of this judge that he was standing in front of, he couldn't do it. Couldn't pull the trigger. So the, the Jews said, they try to make Jesus out to be this insurrectionist. He was trying to overthrow Rome, and Pilate finds him innocent. But, and again, he wants no part in this, and he puts it back into the hands of the people. And he says, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Again, I don't want any parts of this. You take him back. And then he gets to this point where he wants to try to get them to release him. And he kind of sticks a dagger in a little bit and twists it when he calls Jesus the king of the Jews because he knew that they hated that. He knew that Pilate was mocking them. They hated and rejected Christ. He came into his own, his own he esteemed him not, remember? The first chapter. Matthew 27 records but that by now the people had discovered what was going on and, and they had gathered outside. So even more people had came and were curious as to the outcome. Pilate knew that some of them had hailed him as the Messiah earlier in the week and they had hoped to use that against their, the, the people would kind of go against the leaders and demand that Christ be freed because he knew some of them had hailed him as Messiah. But the sight of Jesus bound and helpless really didn't meet their expectations, right? They had this idea of the, the being liberated instantly from Rome. Like that's, that was a temporal thing that they thought that Jesus was, or the Messiah would be there to do. They thought that they were gonna be delivered. But the chief priests and the scribes, they sway the crowd. They get everybody on board. Then we see the response in verse 40. 
Then they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So Pilate's plan shot down. And John's footnote calls Barabbas a robber. Matthew 27 calls him a notorious prisoner. Mark 15 says that, and Luke 23, call him a murderer and an insurrectionist. He had committed murder in the rebellion. So at some point there was an uprising that uh, Barabbas was involved in, and he had killed someone. We don't know the, the specifics of it, but there were, I guess, several leading up to the revolt in AD 66 or 70. So, they had, <laughs> so the irony is that they had, uh, had accused Jesus of being an insurrectionist, and then they want the insurrectionist <laughs> that was guilty of it released. So, again, their hypocrisy knows no bounds. So this man was guilty of insurrection, and Christ was found innocent. And they demanded the, the, the guilty one. So Barabbas, he, he being the true troublemaker, Pilate really didn't want to let this man go because he, he had him. He had to fulfill his promise, though, to release someone at the Passover. And they demanded Barabbas. And Barabbas, the translation of that name means son of a father. Some speculate that his father was... Um, a priest or a rabbi, I guess. He was the kind of political savior the Jews wanted Christ to be or the Messiah to be. A political and military deliverer from, from Roman rule. They wanted out from under Roman rule. They needed this or they wanted this. By riding in on a donkey, Jesus declared his rejection of this worldly agenda he came in peace. His arrival to Jerusalem was in peace. He didn't come to overthrow Rome. He came to deliver a people from the bondage of sin. The people chose Barabbas over Jesus. Salvation by the sword, which is which is temporary, over salvation by the cross, which is eternal. So again, doubling down on the hypocrisy, they're choosing a man that they accuse Christ of being. A robber and an insurrectionist, a murderer. Peter later would lay this charge at their feet in Acts 3. He says, you denied the Holy One, the, the Righteous One, and asked for a murderer to be handed to you. So we have the, the, the sinful will of man and the perfect will of God all coming together right now at this moment. The will of man is to murder an innocent man as he's been declared innocent by Pilate. You know, people would say if the, the Son of God revealed himself to me, I would believe in him. You hear that sometimes. Well, he did, and he was murdered. And the will of the Father was to offer his sacrificial lamb, this perfect spotless lamb on the Day of Atonement, 
The Day of Atonement was the day when the high priest would lay hands on the scapegoat and transferring the sins of the people to that scapegoat, and then it was rejected and then sent out, right? Does that sound, sound familiar? Rejected, sent out. Isaiah tells us that Jesus would be numbered with the transgressors bearing the sins of many. The crowd's rejection of Jesus spoke forth the will of God. Spurgeon writes, Since Christ, as he stood covered with his people's sins, had more sin laid upon him that which rested on Barabbas. I keep wanting to say Barnabas. I'm sorry. It's, <laughs> I have to think. It's true that in himself, Jesus was without guilt, as Pilate observed. He also notes wholly harmless and undefiled is Christ Jesus. But he takes on the whole load of his people's guilty sin upon himself by imputation. As Jehovah looks upon him, he sees more sin lying upon the Savior than even upon this atrocious sinner being Barabbas. So we have the sinful son of a sinful father, which is worthy of death, chosen by worldly standards of truth, right? This is, this is, what, we, this is what we choose to believe today, this Subjectivism. He's chosen over the perfect son of a holy father in whom the truth could not be known apart from knowing him. The ultimate objective truth found in, in Christ from Genesis all the way to Revelation is that he is redeeming the ones that the father had given him. Past, present, and future. All coming together at this point in time to bring it to fruition. And you think of Barabbas, you kind of, you kind of think of him as like not a cool person and he's just an evil, evil thing, evil man. But I would, I would say that we're all Barabbas. We're all sinful, deserving of death but set free. We're all sons of a, or daughters of a father, a sinful father. We're set free just as he was. Barabbas was, was temporary. He was set free by worldly standards. We're not. We're set free by Christ's standards. The standards set by the Father and kept on our behalf. He was set free, but we're free indeed, completely. People like to harp about free will. What about my free will? God's a gentleman. He's just not going to come in and force me to love him. Well, the only time free will is mentioned in the scriptures is when it's pertaining to an offering. Um... There is no free will apart from knowing Christ. You have no freedom. You are a slave to sin. When you're in Christ, you have freedom. That's the only time you can have any type of free will. He was the one that knew so, no sin, yet became sin for us, that may, we might become the righteousness of God in him. The righteousness of Christ is put on us, that robe. We have his robe with the Father only sees his son when he sees us. That's true freedom. 
So the world, they will forever wrestle with this question, what is truth? While the children of God will forever rest in knowing the truth. Let's pray. Merciful Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you so much for the finished work of Christ on our behalf that we may even come into your presence and pray to you in faith. We just ask that you take your word, plant it deep in us. Let it bring forth fruit. Let us bear witness to the truth. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in Christ's name we all pray. All God's children said.